and welcome to This Week in James City County. I'm your host, Renee Dahlman. On today's episode, we are continuing our examination of the Workforce Housing Task Force and the work that they are doing. Today, we have with us three school social workers. We have Bonnie Griffith. Bonnie is the lead school social worker for the school system, and she serves the schools at DJ Montague Elementary and Lafayette High School. We're also joined by Bob Keller. Bob is the school social worker, and he serves Matthew Whaley and James River Elementary Schools. And then finally, we have Stephanie Gallus. Stephanie is the school social worker for Hornsby Middle School and Jamestown High School. Stephanie is also the homeless education liaison for the school system. Welcome. I'm so glad you all are here. We're happy to be here. Thanks, Renee, for having us. Great to be here. Thanks. How have students been impacted by housing? We're going to start with you, Stephanie. The students in our school division who live in temporary housing are afforded protections under the McKinney-Vento Homeless Education Act, which ensures that children can remain in their school of origin no matter where in our division and sometimes out of the division they move to. It protects them from issues with food insecurity. We provide free breakfast and free lunch to those students. And then we go beyond the act in Williamsburg, James City County Schools by offering other services to children, such as connection to agencies within Williamsburg, James City County Schools who provide other services, such as food and clothing and assistance to obtain more permanent housing. All right. How about you, Bonnie? What have you experienced? A lot of our students are living in poverty. And poverty impacts their lives in so many ways, including the inability to uh, live in stable housing that is decent and clean. And so their parents often are preoccupied with basic survival needs. And so as a result, they're not as able to be available to their children to help with everything from homework to school-based meetings. They're preoccupied sometimes with just basic needs like finding food and preparing food and um, knowing how we're going to pay this month's bills. And so often that impacts the children in terms of their day-to-day stability, emotional stability, physical stability, health, and it impacts them in, in many, many ways. When you have to focus on those basic living needs. It's very difficult to worry about algebra. Yes. Yes, for sure. How about you, Bob? What would you add? I would add in there that it also impacts students in their area of sleep and nutrition, physical Mm -hmm. activity, engagement with community resources or community activities. And then parents with their involvement and their engagement in school, when they are struggling with paying for basic needs, they're out in the community, perhaps working an hourly job, They come home, those hours may not work with after-school activities. Uh, And so I feel like it impacts their their involvement in school, parents' involvement in school. All right, Bob, we're going to ask you to go ahead and take our next question first. Would you share how educators think about how education interacts with housing? Sure. I think that with some educators, that's individualistic. Uh, I think that there are some educators or teachers who are well aware of students and what they're bringing when they come into school. I work at two elementary schools in our division. I think as a generalization, elementary teachers have their students for six hours a day. Mm -hmm. 
they're with those students. They build strong relationships with them. They know what's going on. Most of them know what's going on outside of the school building. I think with middle school and high school teachers, because those students travel throughout the day, those relationships, teachers have to work harder to establish relationships with their students to know what's going on in those students' lives in the community. I find that some educators are well-informed of what's happening in a student's life, whether it's trauma, crisis, birthday parties, whatever. Okay. Now, Stephanie, what are you seeing in educators in the middle and high school levels? At the high school level, it is extremely difficult for students who move between divisions that do not follow the block schedule plan as we do. So when they move into our division from another division, they sometimes have to retake classes and they lose credits, which puts them behind. Every move puts a child behind three to six months in their education. So whatever we can do to increase their stability in the school of origin it can make a huge impact on their ability to attain their education and graduate from high school. The other thing with adolescents is that they have also so many other things going on in their lives as they're growing up in their identity that when they have to sort of keep a part of their lives secret, such as where they live, because they are embarrassed by living in a motel, Mm or being doubled up with another family, they come to school not totally prepared to put their full selves into each day, and they are distracted by that. I think that to add on to what Stephanie was saying, that high school students living in poverty who are homeless or in unstable housing, they are more conscious, I think, of the disparities between their peers who maybe are from middle to upper income families. And at the high school level, there's so many expenses, for example, Um, things that you and I might take for granted, like being able to purchase a yearbook, Mm -hmm. a prom dress, cap and gown. For many of them, it's a source of embarrassment and Mm -hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. And they feel they're aware and know that their clothing is different and that they're not as clean. And some of them may have um, the smell of poverty literally on them. And so um, we try to be conscious of that and help those families to the best of our ability. But for the students, I think it definitely does impact their ability on a day-to-day basis to put forth their best effort and learn. Well, and I think this community, I don't know if we are unique in this, but I believe that there is such a dichotomy in terms of the wealthy, wealthy, and then the folks that don't have much of anything at all in this community. And that everybody, like you've said, everybody comes together at the schools, and that's when the kids notice. Can I answer that a you little can. bit here, Renee? In that, uh, one of the schools I service is James River Elementary School, and James River is a perfect example of what you bring up there with those Students at James River attend there from the Grove community, which is a lower socioeconomic area, Mm -hmm. and then Kings Mill, which is our higher, more wealthy population. And they come into school together, and at that point in time, it appears, and more often than not, those students put those issues aside, and they're there as James River Dolphins. Uh, They go to school, they go to class, they attend gym, art, whatever, together. They may know each other because of, they may know that there's differences because they come into the bus from their neighborhoods or they're being dropped off or they talk about where they went on vacation Mm -hmm. at Christmas time or at spring break. And 
some folks go on vacation and other people don't right can't afford it or they talk about bush gardens and who can have a pass and who doesn't have a pass so they are some disparities that come up in there in their conversations but one of the things that i've found is those financial concerns issues they still go to class together they're still james river dolphins regardless of where they're coming from all right in thinking about our high school students they often feel the need and are encouraged by their parents often to work a job in addition to going to school. And so their ability to have time to study is often impacted by late hours working in minimum wage jobs. Mm -hmm. They also have to study sometimes in one hotel room where there are many people There's not a lot of quiet in a hotel room if you have younger siblings who may also be there. There may be a TV on. There may be people talking. Being able to concentrate and study in a hotel room is very difficult. So they fall behind for those reasons as well. I think that you had said that the teachers, you, Bob, had said that teachers are aware of birthday parties and whatnot and where their students live. How about on the high school and middle school levels? Do teachers have a good idea of where the students are coming from every morning? They don't necessarily know that their students are homeless. That information, even though we have it in our database, is protected. Their status is not revealed to folks who don't need to know that. That being said, I think most of the teachers are aware of the students in their classrooms who are in poverty. But again, at the high school level, having the time to connect with those students and help them find additional resources, that time is not as available. And so that is one of the reasons school social workers are at our schools is so that we can also step in and identify those students and work with them and try to meet more of their needs. Parents and children also go to great lengths to keep this information from us because of the embarrassment associated with being homeless and living in poverty. So we often find out after the fact or when time has gone by and we're unable to provide sometimes those protections that the law allows us to provide because we don't know. And then families may struggle for a time before we have the opportunity to identify them and form that relationship and then provide services. I would imagine that it's not just embarrassment, that there's fear in there as well. You're correct. Some families assume that it's a child protective services issue if they admit to the fact that they are living in substandard housing, in a hotel, sometimes in a, well, a car would actually be a CPS issue. Right. But in other substandard housing, they are worried that they might lose their children because they are unable to find good housing for their family. Right. And school social workers are really trying to make the best situation possible for these children and their families. We do. We do. We make personal contact with them. We make home visits. We refer them to agencies such as United Way, Community Resource Center, Williamsburg House of Mercy. All of those agencies will help families become more stable. Now, switching topics a little bit, do you have any insight on educators themselves dealing with housing issues in the James City County, Williamsburg area? We're aware that there are many people in our community who provide services here, work in service industries, but teachers, policemen, firemen, 
may all have trouble finding affordable housing in the community that they serve. And so certainly we have many teachers that live in outlying areas where the housing is perhaps more affordable. So I would say that's probably an issue. Okay. And teachers that are just out of school and beginning to uh, work within our school division, they're young, and they if they moved from another area, they're at a loss as to even where to stay. Mm-hmm. If they're from this area, they may live with their family for a while uh, or get together with other young teachers and, and share an apartment until they get more stabilized. The part of our division that's impacted greatly, I would say, would be our bus drivers and our custodians. They, they in, it, struggle with finding housing because of their income as well. Well, and I would think that with custodians, sometimes they are working late late into the night and to then have to do a half an hour or an hour drive yes. to get home is less than ideal as Correct. well. How do the housing issues you see show up in the school system's budget? We are very fortunate to have been uh, awarded a grant through Project Hope, which is at William & Mary. It is the state center for our homeless education coordinator for the state of Virginia. And you can apply for a grant and you receive extra funding that you can use to make sure that you are providing services to the students within your division who are identified as homeless. That grant allows us to supplement transportation costs when we need to provide transportation to students across school zones and across division lines. It also allows us to buy some school supplies for children who may not have those school supplies because of being homeless. We also have access to Title I grant monies to serve those homeless children as well. Okay. How do families get trapped in the cycle of homelessness? So I think the cycle of poverty is difficult here. I think that uh, I have a specific family that comes into mind. Father had a job. He and mom as well. He became injured, went on disability. They couldn't afford the home that they were living in. They had judgment based on their credit. At that point in time, then they moved into an apartment complex. They weren't able to make that payment as well after a couple of months. So they now had a credit or they had a judgment on their rental history as well. They came in here to Williamsburg because of a motel that they were able to get into. Father couldn't work. Mom took a job at a local restaurant waiting tables. Two young boys living with them in this small 250 square foot motel room. And they lived in that, this hotel room for just over three years. Mm -hmm. And four lives were packed into this room. And I think that sometimes with this cycle of poverty, it's one crisis. It's one financial crisis that will push a family over the edge that then pushes these dominoes forward to prevent them from becoming stable. And then that impacts their food. Uh, Stephanie earlier had mentioned how we in the school division are able for some folks with breakfast and lunch. Uh, We help with school supplies. When we know about families this way, then we're trying to help provide or break down some of those barriers. But I think that the cycle is it's difficult to pull out of. Once you start going down, it's really hard to find a, a helping hand to pull you up out of it. Just for an example, once you have a judgment against you, you may owe $1,000 to the apartment complex, but they've turned it over to collection. 
and now there are additional fees. So you're living on a low-wage job, and you are in a hotel room. Maybe you'd like to get out of that hotel room, but you've got to have enough money to keep paying for the hotel, then somehow find thousands of dollars to pay off the judgment, then save money for a deposit for a new apartment and rent for that apartment. Meantime, you may also have utility bills that got unpaid, and that's also against you. So just moving forward in what would seem to be a fairly simple thing, but it's actually quite complicated and very costly. And that's what traps a lot of our folks. And I was just thinking of a, of a mother I know who was work, has been working two jobs. She gets next to no sleep because she's working two jobs. She doesn't, her income isn't low enough to qualify for some services. She was on the verge of uh, losing her car. And she knew that if she lost her car, she wouldn't be able to keep her jobs. And so she was panicked. We were able to find a donor to uh, help her with her car repairs so that she would still have transportation. But that's a huge issue, too. Mm -hmm. When we have families who are trying to get by, just uh, getting to work and meeting their daily needs with the bus transportation, and that's all they have, that's really um, another whole barrier, another whole difficulty that makes their lives so challenging and stressful. Mm -hmm. A lot of our parents are very stressed, some of them struggling with mental health issues, depression that comes with that kind of survival lifestyle. And then the children pick up on that too, and they're feeling the stress of living in that little hotel room or knowing that mommy or dad are really sad and, and scared and stressed. And so they then bring that stress with them to school. And it's, a, it's something that affects them on a, a daily basis as well. And children often leave for school in the morning not knowing where they're going home to. They know that something is up with the family. They're, they've heard their parent uh, talk about, we don't have enough to pay the, the rent fee to the hotel. And so we don't know where we're going to be, but we'll let you know when you get home. Mm -hmm. That sort of thought percolating around in your head all day long is so distracting to these children. It's no wonder that they aren't able to concentrate well enough to do as, as well as they could academically. I know that for many of our listeners, hearing stories such as these and the cycle of poverty can be very overwhelming. And they may feel that there is nothing that can be done, that there aren't any success stories out there. Do you all know of students that have been able to overcome their homelessness or their substandard housing issues? Uh, sure, I, I have an example, and it's an example that uh, Stephanie and I share together. There's a few examples that come to mind, but the specific one rises to the forefront for me. And he is a young man who I became aware of in fourth grade because of attendance issues. And he, as I started getting into it more with him and his family, realized that there was some instability, there was some nutrition sleep was a factor and this was all based on attendance originally and so i developed relationship worked with him for those fourth and fifth grade years and then he moved on to our middle and then eventually into our high school and uh, at that point in time then i think stephanie picked him up when i first met this young man he was living in a camper in a campground that the family was renting it could loosely be called a camper because it was falling apart. It didn't have good utilities. And that's where the family lived for the first couple of years that I knew this young man. I quickly became aware of his situation and developed that relationship 
uh, that Bob had worked on with the mother and the young man. He was inspiring in the fact that he kept coming to school despite all of the challenges that he had. His mother would reach out and ask for help when he needed shorts for PE class or something for a class trip. And it was a community effort to support this young man, get him through school. He also was so resilient and in no way bitter because of his circumstances. He was involved in school activities. He was in theater. He played football. He was a young man who did not allow his circumstances to stop him from getting his high school diploma. And he graduated this year from Jamestown High School and does have plans for the future to continue his education, to get into the culinary arts, and he's also working several jobs. So for me, meeting him was an inspiration and just a a wonderful example of what resilience in a human being looks like. Our students and our community are, are very fortunate to be able to have people like you in the schools and your fellow educators that are keeping eyes out for these kids and their families and helping where you can. I do have one final question. You had said something about school supplies. If people are able to help with school supplies or other forms of assistance, how can they do that? We have our faith-based community here in Williamsburg, and there is a large number, and and I'll say large, but it seems that there is a um, substantial amount of churches who have come together to help with school supplies. Last three years or four years, they've been doing a rotating homeless shelter. There are food delivery programs. And so I would say reach out one to your faith-based community, your churches here in town. I don't know that the school district can actually accept money okay. from folks. Time is a resource as well. I know in our the elementary schools that I service, we have volunteers that are coming in to sit and read with children, listen to them read, work on their writing. Um, so time is a huge resource, not just the money. All right. Any final thoughts? I think this is a wonderful opportunity to help the community understand that we do have children in this division who are considered homeless. The last count that I came up with was 450 children approximately who qualified for services for the uh, child experiencing homelessness. That's a large number, and it's unexpected to most people Mm -hmm. to know that we have those children in our community. So this is a wonderful opportunity to uh, share that with uh, everyone here so that they understand that there is a need out there and there are school social workers who are helping meet that need. And Stephanie, I think it's important to let our community know what homelessness really means. It's not those what we might think of living out of a grocery cart underneath a bypass on the road. These are students and families who are in unstable housing situations where they may be three or four families renting the same apartment together. Uh, somebody loses a job, then they're going to be out of that apartment, three or four families. They're families that are living in our motels on Richmond Road, Capitol Landing Road. Um, They're having to live in these small units with multiple people to then send them off to school as well. So it's not just this picture of 
grocery carts and pushing them down the street that it's, it is based on unstable or inadequate housing. The definition is lack of fixed, regular, and adequate housing. And fixed means that you can go to the same place every day. Hotels are not fixed because you never know when you're going to not have that. And you would think that being doubled up, even with a family, would be fixed. However, at any point, the person that you're living with could say, this isn't working for me, you got to go. And then Adequate has to do with, yeah, they might be in a, a, a mobile home somewhere, but the roof is leaking, the floor is falling out, and there's not regular uh, heat and, and running water. Our definition in education is different from HUD's definition in that we do include doubled up housing, not just no housing whatsoever, or living in places that would not be considered regular habitation, such as a bus station or a campground or a car. And if I could just add, just to get people to think more about this, imagine trying to live in a hotel. How do you cook? How do you provide meals? Right now we're in the summertime. Where are those children supposed to get their three meals a day? And many hotels have no cooking facilities whatsoever. Additionally, think about homes that are substandard that maybe have mold. We have a lot of children with asthma problems. So if you're living in a moldy mobile home or camper or uh, even some of our hotels have mold issues. So our children's health can be continually compromised. And again, trying to sleep in a hotel room, if somebody's on the floor, you're not getting an adequate night's rest every night. So there are just so many variables that go into unstable housing or homelessness in terms of everything, sleep, nutrition, basic health needs. And they're all important in terms of the children's ability to be functional at school. Thank you all so much for joining us. We are so happy to have had this opportunity. Thanks, Renee, for having us. Yes, thank you. It was wonderful. Well, that wraps up this episode of This Week in James City County. I'm your host, Renee Dahlman. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we have a website at jamescitycountyva.gov slash podcast. And while you're there, you'll be able to see all of our episodes as well as complete a comment form where you can give us feedback and ideas for future shows. Thank you so much. And we will talk with you next week.